Amen. Well, good morning, guys. My name is Ben, one of the pastors here at Hope Church. And if you've got a copy of the Scriptures, please turn or tap your way to James chapter 3. James chapter 3. If you don't have a copy of the Scriptures, don't panic. We'll have those words for you on the screen and would love to give you a copy on your way out today. James, we've been going through James. I would love to continue going through James, but we're going to take a break, go into some other stuff, hopefully be able to address some of the issues in James that we haven't gotten to yet, some of the stuff about dealing with the rich. That one's kind of easy to get past because nobody really thinks they're rich, but you probably are doing pretty well. We're going to focus, though, on one more issue coming up in James that actually... Like all of Scripture, James considers to be a big, big deal. But I think most of us sort of miss it. And the way that I want to think about it, or at least maybe peer into your perception of how important this is, is to ask you about your resolutions. Maybe you make them, maybe you don't. But I think most of us take some sort of personal assessment when it comes to the beginning of a new year. We have crossed a threshold. There does seem to be an opportunity for us to kind of mix things up a little bit, do things a little differently, hopefully even grow in some ways. But if you look at what resolutions you pick, you understand what you think to be either very important or changeable. Some things you'd love to change, but you can't. And so you make a list and you think, okay, what what could I possibly do a little better with? Generally, people put stuff on that list like, ah, there's a lot of clutter at the house. It'd be great if we could go through and kind of clean things out this year. Maybe you look at yourself. You've had a lot of sweets over the last month and a half. Maybe this year I'm going to eat a little better. I'm going to exercise a little more. You look at the finances. You spent more than you meant to. And hey, thank you, government. But you still want to try and maybe do a little better with your finances in 2021. So you got an idea of how you want to budget. But I don't know that anybody has the way that they talk as an issue they want to fix in 2021. But I hope as you listen to what I'm saying from James, and then hear some of the melody and the bass of Scripture that comes alongside what James is saying, you'll see that I think there's really not much you could focus on that would do more for you than to think about the way you talk, to think about the way you think. James says in chapter 3, verse 1, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. And if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they're so large and they're driven by strong winds, they're guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of a very small pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. First thing he says is don't be a teacher. Ah! Please pray for me and your other pastors. Made a huge mistake. I'm not excited about Judgment Day. Makes me anxious uh, in a real way. I, 
Maybe it's silly to say that, but oh, so please do pray for me. Then he jumps in further and says, based on that, and that's kind of a related idea, we're all sinners in many ways. Verse 2, we all stumble in many ways. We talked about that a couple weeks ago, last time I got to preach. And then he says, but if anybody doesn't stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. Do you believe that? He's saying, if you want to try and focus on something to make yourself more like Christ, if you want your life to look more like God wants your life to look, Trying to grab hold of your finances or grab hold of your calorie content or grab hold of the way your house looks or grab hold of the way your kids act isn't the best spot to drive. You can actually drive yourself better if you focus on your tongue. And he's got these wonderful, beautiful pictures, these illustrations about a horse and a bridle. I don't know if you've ever been around horses or been close to horses, but they're not small things. There's majesty to them, but there's also just scope. There's size to them. And then it's a cow story, not a horse story. But I was a teenager, and we were at a lake, and we were in these fields around the lake. And there was these cows. And if you ever watch cows, they just look like peaceable, kind of bored things. All they do is just sit there and munch all day. But if you're ever on the other side of the fence, like you're next to them, they're not small. And somebody just dared me to go slap a cow. And uh, he meant like on the bottom, not like across the face. <laughs> like I've been offended by the cow or something. But just to go, just go touch one. Just go slap a cow. And if you're in flip-flops after a day on the lake... It's intimidating to go slap a cow. They're bigger than you think. There's something there. And when they notice you, and they keep chewing, but they notice you, there's a moment there. And yet, horses and all of their strength and their majesty and their... um, You think about war horses throughout the ages, and yet they can all be guided with just that one little bridle, little bit in their mouth. Massive ships, and James would be thinking about these great wooden ships that are driven. They're sailed by these beautiful giant winds that come bringing across all of God's strength and power. All these ships are being driven around, and yet they're steered by just this one little, with just one little guy. Now we can think about these magnificent aircraft carriers, and they're driven by these rudders that are controlled by like a guy. And it's, I mean, it's 2021. He probably just types in, like, we'd like to go here. Doop. And then he goes to get some coffee. And the thing is just driven. It's just steered by that one little. James is saying, you and I, likewise, have this one little thing, this one point, that if we can start to control it differently, it's going to change everything. And he's saying that based on Scripture. So what we're going to do today is I want us to see the importance of the tongue. I want us to agree with James and not think he's just given to overstatement. I want us to go down. I want to see how bad it can be. I want us to see how God has fixed it in the gospel. And then I want us to see how good it can be. So, one, the tongue does drive your ship. In Scripture, it's very clear that words create and words destroy. God chooses to create the world, and when he chooses to create the world, he chooses the means by which he's going to create. You know what those means were? He spoke. 
He spoke them into existence. Generally, it's not just magic words. You see these people when they do a magic trick, they've got a big ha that they do. But God, when he goes to speak, what does he do? He just speaks and creation jumps into existence. Words create. And as soon as you have that character in the story, you immediately have an enemy in the story. The enemy who comes as a snake. Got that tongue going in and out all the time. And the snake comes to speak to Adam and Eve. Words to create, words to destroy. He tempts Adam and Eve. And what do they do? When they fall, our whole world falls with them. You get into the redemption of this story where the the Lord comes and John describes him not just as a baby, but calls him the Word. We'll dwell on that a little longer, a little later in the sermon. But this Word we see again at the end of the Scriptures in Revelation. In Revelation 19, we have this white rider with eyes like a flame of fire. And John, in who also wrote Revelation, in Revelation says that this white rider is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And as you read this, you can read it in Revelation 19, that whole paragraph. Take some time to read it. It's describing Christ in all of his martial glory as he comes riding in in the judgment. And as you read it, it's called, he's called the Word of God. And then... And this was always a bummer to me as I was reading it, because I just it was such a like a weird thing. Like the mental picture that you had been building through this description takes a weird left turn because he says that from his mouth is a sword. And you're picturing this amazing white rider with his robe dipped in blood and all of his glory and all of his strength, and then whoop, like an elephant or something. He's got this sword hanging out of his mouth. I don't understand it. But you put it into the context of scripture and you see that of course God by his word has created and here God by his word can destroy you zoom into your own life how much of who you are is created by the way that you think or the way that you talk to yourself how much of who you are is created by the way that other people have talked to you and pronounced over you who you are Man, you come to us for counseling. You ask the pastors to pastor you. You say, man, listen, pastor, I've got this incredible fear problem. I've got this big anger problem. I've got this weird relationship problem. I've got this hard sin problem, envy, lust problem, whatever. Okay. Let's take that to the scripture. Let's take that to the gospel. And let us understand with you the way you're talking to yourself. We'll prescribe for you a stop exercise, S-T-O-P. We'll ask you to stop in the middle of the day sometimes, take a couple breaths, S-T, and then observe what's going on in your heart right now. What are you saying to yourself? What are you feeling right now? What are you thinking about? And then proceed. And we'll take your notes from that and try to help you to see the way that you're talking to yourself and the way that God wants to talk to you. Because who you are is built that way. Who you are is created that way. Love certainly makes you who you are. And in your relationships, it's the words that connect you. It's the words that connect you to God. How do you relate to God now? It's through Scripture. That's how He speaks to us. And yes, we've got all kinds of different ways in which God speaks. But the main one is the text. 
That's why everything at Hope Church is built around that. Nobody comes up here and talks without reading something from it. Why? That's how he has spoken to us in the way that we speak back to him as we pray. Yes, your friendships and definitely in people in your work and the way that you relate to other people at your work. And yes, of course, your marriages are all built on the way that you talk, the way that you connect. Do you see why the tongue is so pivotal? That it really is the rudder. It really is the bridle. So, if... That is so important. If the tongue, the way we speak, is so important, how are we doing with it? So we've talked about the tongue and its importance. I want to now see what kind of things the tongue is currently doing. It comes down to the way that we talk to ourselves. It comes down to lies. See, in the garden, the enemy first puts a lie before Adam and Eve, drawing them into this temptation, this scenario where they then believe a lie and disobey God. And yet, as we come to Jesus in the New Testament, this story of the good guy versus the bad guy gets updated, and now we have Jesus, who is God, as the good guy, facing off, not anymore against the serpent, but against the serpent's children. How do we get that? Well, in John 8, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees, and he says to them, you are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. It doesn't mean that the devil somehow got together with the Pharisees' moms. He is, though, saying that you are like the enemy. You have the same desires as the enemy. You talk the way the enemy talks. It is your will to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and doesn't stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he's just speaking out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Now, that's heavy for Jesus to say to anyone. But he lays that on the Pharisees. And you and I, as we're reading passages like that, can kind of stand behind Jesus and be like, Yeah, you Pharisees are awful. Boo, you guys. Not me. Well, (laughs) I don't think that's very wise either. Ask yourself, isn't there something of that kind of diagnosis that should be applied to you and me? Missionaries who talk about trying to speak to somebody in their heart language. Have you heard that phrase before? Many of you speak several languages. Some of you speak two languages. And for you, you speak English really well, but if somebody can speak to you in the language that your mother spoke to you in, they've got a whole different lane in your mind. We got people that, if, if you could speak to them in Korean or Swahili or Spanish, you're now speaking directly to their heart. You've got a whole different road in. They've got a heart language. Rachel and I on TV, we were watching TV, and the lady was talking about will. I'm going to write you out of the will. But she didn't say will. She said wheel, like a wheel on the train or whatever. And it actually, it had subtitles, <laughs> which I really appreciated. So uh, we kind of grew up, and that was a word that we probably would have said that way, especially as a little kid. I might have said wheel instead of will. Will you do it? Wheel? Really? That's how you're going to say it? But when that lady said it, again, with subtitles, there was a moment where Rachel and I were like, oh, it's kind of our heart language. 
Apparently, it's not English. Again, they had to use subtitles. But it's our heart language. Let me ask you, when Jesus is trying to open for the Pharisees who they are, let them see who they are, that they'll repent and believe, isn't there something that we need to admit about our heart language? Later in Scripture, when you get to Romans, the Holy Spirit through Paul says that our throat is an open grave. We use our tongues to deceive, and the venom of asps is under their lips. An asp is a snake. He's making the same connection that Jesus was making with the Pharisees. Our hearts are lying all the time. Lying to us about everything else around us, but also lying to others. There's constant shading, overstatement, understatement. There's constant rewriting of the story. Well, no, that wasn't really my fault. It was hers because she did, because then they didn't. Because if they had told me more than I would have, then just, what is that? Just constant. When you take a moment and look at your own heart, if you just actually stop and see what it is that you're thinking about most of the time, how much of the time are you dreaming about being the people you see in movies and television, sports and business? How much of the time are you imagining? How, many, how much of the time are you dreaming to what it would be like to be with men or women that are not yours? How often do we dream about what we, what we don't have but would like to have? And our brains just run on these tracks. Do you understand that right then with your thoughts, with your tongue, with your, your language in your heart, you are inviting envy, lust, pride to be who you are in a thousand other ways but at least in these ways the tongue is destroying it's a fire that is itself set on fire by hell as James says so if we're going to embark on this process of changing the way that we talk we have to go to the only place where we can really get the total transformation that we need we need this word from the Lord so Jesus is this word of the Lord. It says in John 1 that in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. He's in the beginning with God. All things are made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness is not overcome. It. If you zoom down to verse 14, he says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. What's being said? God has spoken to us in Jesus. And this word, these words that can destroy or create, these words from God that bring light. What is light? Why is he talking about light? He's talking about the idea that you can finally see what's true, not what's hidden. He's turning the lights on through Jesus, this light that brings grace and truth. Think about what we know about the Word of God from Scripture. He uses that Word to create. He uses that Word to reveal something about who He is. He uses that Word to relate to you and to me. Now through Jesus we have that perfectly, the One who has come to create a new you.
to put a new heart in you, to put a new tongue in your head. The one who has come to reveal God to you. We can't see God any more clearly than we see him in Christ. The God who has come to be with you, Emmanuel, Jesus. What we just talked about all through Christmas, that he's come to be with us. He's come to pronounce new things over us. We have this concept in our society where we pronounce big things. Think about judges. It's the judge who's going to pronounce you guilty or innocent. Yeah, you got it coming from the jury, but it's not until the judge says it and then he smacks the table with his hammer that it's pronounced. We have in Jesus the pronouncement of our forgiveness. See, the Bible's very clear that you and I are broken, that we have sinned against God, but we have in Jesus this way. So when he goes to the cross, he takes our sin upon himself. Now, if we believe in him, we repent and believe in him, he makes a way of forgiveness for us so that as we stand before God in that judgment, he can pronounce over us forgiven, free. He can pronounce over us adopted. I don't know if you've gone through an adoption process, but you can't just find a kid and like rub them on the head and adopted. That doesn't work. That's no longer, that's not an official legal adoption. An adoption takes place when a judge pronounces adopted. Think about a marriage. When I pull my suit out once a year and stand here, with a lady and a guy for a marriage. And they talk and they talk and I talk to everybody for too long and then I say the vows, they vow. But it's not until I pronounce them man and wife and say they can kiss the bride and then I tear up and stuff. It's not until I pronounce them that they're married. Do you understand that in this word, in Christ, we are pronounced son or daughter friend of God, forgiven, and even spouse, bride. As he pronounces those things over us, as you receive those things and believe those things, they become for you this new standard of truth, this new way by which you're going to see the world and understand and think. They open up for you light so that you can see the world. And now speak to yourself and speak to others in truth, not in falsehood. You begin to have this new way, this new rudder, this new bit and bridle leading you towards something perfect. That's what the tongue can now create. So God, as he speaks this word and you receive it, you now become his and he begins to change you. He baptizes you. He puts you in his family and he starts to speak through you. Now, if we go into scripture, we're going to find all kinds of places that help us to see this and see it clearly. As you continue in James, he starts talking about the wisdom and what it looks like. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, with a harvest of righteousness. I'm sorry, and a harvest of righteousness is sown by peace, in peace, by those who make peace. That word gets in you and it starts to come out from you. And you begin to change and you begin to change 
others. In the new year, I just finished a book, a great book to start your year with. It'll be called The Power of Habit by a guy named Charles Duhigg. It's got two G's. I'll put it up in a second. But Charles Duhigg in this Power of Habit book talks about the way that humans do what we do. We're always trying to move things from something we think about to something we do out of habit or automatically. And if you can understand those habits, then you can get in there and kind of rework them and move towards more healthy habits. And he he explains how one would do that individually, but he also explains how you would do that organizationally. Your organization has habits that need to change. And then, towards the end of the book, he talks about how we would do that even societally. And he looks at places where there's been great societal change in the way it took place. Focuses on the civil rights movement. In its earliest days, you have this Rosa Parks lady who was arrested for not giving up her seat to a white man. Then this bus boycott starts, and caught up in the middle of it is a guy who didn't really start it, but is getting drawn into it, Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., He becomes a leader of the movement. He's preaching at his church one night, and a bomb goes off on his front porch. He goes home, and he sees this crater on his front porch. Fortunately, his wife and child were at a different part of the house where the front rooms were the ones that received the most damage, but if they had been in those front rooms, they would have been killed. And already, when he gets on the scene, you got the mayor, you got the chief of police, and you got hundreds of black people. And there's a righteous anger that's taking place. And as he's standing there and talking to them and trying to make sure his wife's okay, there's more and more people coming, and the white police chief starts to get anxious. And he says, hey, man, we got to dispel these people. And as the police officers try to dispel the crowd, the crowd starts to get angry. And he goes up to Martin Luther King and says, listen, man, you got to say something to the crowd. you got to chill this out. And in that moment, I want you to think about what you would do. Here you've got this whole movement one way, this whole movement the other. You've got this great crowd this way. You've got the representatives of this giant crowd the other way. And right in the center of it is Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And right in the center of that is what he's about to say. He looks out on the crowd and he shouts, Don't do anything panicky. Don't get your weapons. And then here he quotes Christ. He who lives by the sword shall perish by the sword. The crowd grew still. And now he instructs them. We must love our white brothers no matter what they do to us, King said. We must make them know that we love them. Jesus still cries out in words that echo across the centuries. Love your enemies Bless them that curse you. Pray for them that despitefully use you. He'd been thinking about, obviously as a Christian pastor, he'd been preaching about these, these ideas, these reactions, the way in which Jesus would treat his enemies. And in that moment, when all of these people are looking to him for leadership, he's able to speak, not hate and destruction, but love, reconciliation, peace. Do you see what can happen? Do you see what's possible? If the gospel gets in you and changes you, if that tongue inside of you begins to speak his truth instead of lies, do you see how you're able to be not only a rudder for yourself and a rudder for your family and a rudder for organizations, but even a rudder for this world? Jesus 
God sees it. He knows it, and he's trying to instruct you on it. Are you willing to try? Listen, if you're his, if you've repented and believed, then you're his. He's pronounced. It's taken place. You're, you are his. But I want to instruct you on how to remember those things daily. To invite those things all the way down into your brain, all the way down into your heart so that they live in you and grow in you and then emerge from you. How are you going to do that? Well, (laughs) it's as easy as committing in 2021 to tell yourself the truth. Ooh, commit to tell yourself the truth. Start every day in the Scripture. You don't know if the Scriptures are true or not. Great, let's talk about it. But don't sit on the fence. Start every day in the Scriptures. This Old Testament Bible reading plan is going to be fantastic. If there's a part of you that went Old Testament, womp, womp, shame on you. You don't know the Old Testament like you should. Give us the opportunity to see the beauty and manifold wisdom of God in the Old Testament. But start reading with us every day so that the Bible is getting in you. Then I want you to take a month, two months, 20 minutes, depends on how smart you are, and I want you to memorize one psalm. Start with Psalm 23. It's fabulous, and you already have more memorized than you think. Start with Psalm 23. Put it in your heart. And then every afternoon, take some moment that you quote Psalm 23 to yourself, where you just stop and remember what's true. You're going to watch as your heart begins to change, as the Word begins to create, as you become a tree that produces its fruit in its season and its leaf doesn't wither. You've already memorized Psalm 23? Fantastic. Memorize Psalm 16. Memorize Psalm 1. Memorize the first half of Psalm 103. And once you got that done, memorize the second half of Psalm 103. Hide His Word in your heart so that it grows. It's like a seed that you're going to plant and you're going to watch as it grows and it changes and it's going to get a hold of the way that you think, the way that you talk, so that your tongue begins to change. Listen, if we can just change that, and even just change it a little, can you imagine what's possible? Do you see what might start to happen? So that's my ask, my big ask for you to commit to is to reading the Bible a little bit every single day. And to put one psalm in your heart, start with Psalm 23, hide one psalm in your heart and quote it to yourself every day. It takes 30 seconds. Do you see from here how great a ship can be turned by a small rudder? Do you see from here how great a fire can be started with a single match? Brothers and sisters, let us commit to telling ourselves the truth. Lord and Heavenly Father, I pray right now, as we prepare our hearts to go into a time of the Lord's Supper, that we would look at what you've done. We would be enticed by the love you've shown so that we do the commitment to the hard renovation work of being truth-tellers, people who tell ourselves the truth about ourselves, about our world, about our God. Lord, I pray that you would baptize, that you would sanctify our tongues 
so that we might be perfect, so that we might be able to speak and to share the good news of what you've done to ourselves and then through us out to the world, full of grace and truth. Pray these things in your son's holy name. Amen.